All right, Matthew uh, 13 at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here uh, this morning, there are two truths about God's kingdom in these two parables that I want us to take a look at this morning. The first truth is this, the kingdom of God is incredibly precious, fairly straightforward. The kingdom of God is incredibly, infinitely precious. And then second, those who find it give up everything to have it. Those who find it give up their very lives to obtain this treasure when they find it. So first of all, the kingdom of God is incredibly precious. Uh, let me just reread verses 44 and then 45 and the first half of 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, that word treasure hidden in a field, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value. So we've got the kingdom of heaven here compared to a treasure and compared to one pearl of great value. Now, I want to just begin this way by saying the kingdom of heaven is salvation in Jesus Christ and all the blessings that come along with belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, with being saved by him and being in God's family. That's what the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of God is. It's God's saving rule over his people through Jesus Christ. And the kingdom is compared to a treasure and to a pearl of great value. I want to tease those out a little minute. A treasure here uh, was, uh, it was not uncommon that Jews especially would hide treasure in the ground. There were no banks like we have today, and even in the parable of the talents, uh, the bankers there would have likely been money lenders, but they didn't have like, you know, Marion County or Lytton State banks where you could go in, get a safety deposit box, put your money and have that money be insured. So if you were a Jew in Jesus' day, it was common, especially since your land was always subject to enemies invading and taking you down, that you would bury the treasure in the ground in order for, to keep it safe from enemies. You might bury gold or silver or jewelry or whatever precious uh, metals or gems you had for safekeeping. And so a family's most precious possession sometimes would be buried in the ground. And this parable speaks of a man who either was plowing in a field or just out in the field walking around and he stumbled across a treasure in a field. He uncovers it, looks at it, sees what it is, immediately buries it because he sees how valuable it is and then does everything he can to get it. And the pearl of great price, again, it's a sort of a vivid picture. Pearls were the diamonds of Jesus' day, incredibly valuable and very hard to get. In order to obtain pearls, which are often on the bottom of the Persian Gulf or the Indian Ocean, uh, you'd have to go down to depths up to like 150 feet below the ocean. A boat would tie a large rock to a rope, drop that rock into the water. When the rock hits bottom, a diver would grab the rope, scurry down as fast as he could, look for oysters, on the bottom as much as he could, and before he ran out of breath and died, have to scurry to the top to, uh, make, to, to uh, put his find up in 
the boat. So it was a very dangerous occupation. It was hard work to get them. And this parable speaks of a pearl. Pearls were very valuable, known especially for their luster. And the parable speaks of a merchant who knows what a good pearl is. And he's looking for fine pearls, but he finds one. Not 10 of them, not two of them. He finds one pearl that is so valuable. He goes, and by the way, a merchant was likely a person of means. He's likely, he's not a poor person. He sells everything he has to get that one pearl. The kingdom of heaven isn't just like fine pearls, but it's like one pearl of incredible value. Now, why is the kingdom of God called a treasure and a pearl of great value? Because it's the most precious thing in all the universe. There is nothing more precious than the kingdom of heaven. And there's nothing more uh, beneficent or blessed than to be part of the kingdom of heaven. So God's kingdom, salvation in Jesus Christ, his son, contains the following. I just want to highlight what is it that makes God's kingdom so precious? First of all, it's a free gift of grace that's bestowed upon unworthy sinners. God's kingdom is a kingdom built on mercy and grace. When you discover it, you realize that I don't have to bring anything to the table except my sin. That God freely gives eternal life in his son. And that I bring myself to the table. God washes away my sin. He cleanses me in Christ. And he makes me a child of his all free. There's nothing I could do to purchase it. There's no commandments I could obey to become worthy of it. God's kingdom is a kingdom built on grace. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Beloved, you look at all the other kingdoms in the world, all the other religions. You're going to have to bring something to the table to make it, to be successful in them. And in God's kingdom, it's the only kingdom where we bring nothing to the table other than the worst parts of us, all of our sin. And God puts that on his son and gives us his righteousness. When you see this kingdom, when you see this treasure, it's worth everything. Also in this kingdom is forgiveness of sins. I don't know if you've looked in the mirror lately or looked around the world. But there's a lot of sin in the world. There's a lot of sin in us. And we know we're going to have to deal with it. We know that when people sin, payment is required. Justice needs to be served. We sense that even in our everyday life, right? Someone offends against us. We have a sense that, hey, they need to make this right. Or we offend against someone and we know, hey, we have to make this right. Or, or they, they justly have an offense against us. And in God's kingdom, there is forgiveness for our sins, beloved. The slate is wiped clean. Catch this. In God's kingdom, there isn't payment made for our sins by us. There's forgiveness for our sins that God extends to us because Jesus paid for it. Beloved, that's amazing. That's a treasure. That's a, that's a one great valuable pearl. We don't have to make up for our sins. We don't have to atone for our sins. In God's kingdom, he atones for our sins through his son. Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. 
There's also in this kingdom an inheritance. It's incredible. Peter talks about this inheritance in 1 Peter 1. The inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have an inheritance, beloved, in this kingdom. In other words, life just gets better and better as we go and get closer to it. And one day we'll inherit the whole earth, all the meek will. There's eternal life in this kingdom. Again, if you look in the world and if you look in the mirror, we see that there's a constant that operates all throughout the world. What is that constant? Death comes to everybody. And if the Lord doesn't come back before, uh, before each of us hits about 120 for sure, we will have to experience death as well. All human beings die and death leads humans into the great unknown. And we know as believers, it leads everyone who doesn't know Jesus to the great eternal torment of hell. How precious would it be to find a kingdom which grants eternal life? What would you give? What would you give up to find a kingdom? What would your response be? What would you think if you found a kingdom that grants eternal life? Not just, oh, we get to live in our earthly bodies forever, but we get to live with perfect bodies in a place where there's no more sin, where everything is blissful and joyful and perfect forever. What would you call a kingdom like that? Jesus calls it a treasure, the greatest treasure on earth. And love, beloved, in God's kingdom there is love. What makes God's kingdom such a treasure? It's filled with love. In this world is hate. The kingdoms of the world are built on hate and selfishness and self-centeredness. Leaders looking out for themselves to build their own kingdom. People in these kingdoms living for self. Whatever makes my life better, I'm all for. Whatever doesn't make my life better, I am against. Other people, I don't even give them hardly a passing thought unless blessing them can benefit me. Beloved, that's what this world is built on. Selfishness, self-centeredness, and hate. Can you imagine what it would be like to find a kingdom built on love and humility and focusing on other people and seeking the well-being of others? Can you imagine what a kingdom would be like if the God of this kingdom looked at rebels who sinned against him and said, I will sacrifice anything, any amount. I will incur any cost in order to make these rebels my children. And I will send my son to stand in their place so that they can be saved. And then I will fill them with my Holy Spirit. I will fill them with love. And I will shed this love abroad in their hearts so that there'll be a people who go out into the world and love each other and even love their enemies. Beloved, can you imagine what you'd call a treasure like that, a kingdom like that? <laughs> it's an incredible treasure. It's a light on a hill. God will sacrifice his son to save me? Wow, that's some love. And then I could go on and on, but here's the last one. Sweet fellowship with God. You know, all around the world, people are fellowshipping with their families. They're fellowshipping with their houses. They're fellowshipping with their careers, their money, and they're looking to all these earthly things many of which are good. And they're saying, feed my soul. Give me comfort and peace and incredible fellowship. 
And after the fellowship time, our souls say it's just not enough. The human soul says that. But what would it be like to find a kingdom where we can fellowship with the triune God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the only true and living God? What would that be like to have fellowship with him and to have communion with him in all of his beauty and majesty and holiness and perfection? That's soul satisfying. What would you call a kingdom where that was possible? Jesus calls it a treasure and a pearl of great value. The kingdom of heaven, beloved, can't be overvalued. It's beyond value. There is nothing more valuable than it. To find it is to find a treasure so great that the treasure itself is the most valuable thing in all the universe. Nothing else compares with it. Nothing else measures up to having it. Nothing else satisfies. Nothing else comes close to its equal. Salvation through Jesus Christ is more precious than all the gold in the world, more awe-inspiring than the distant stars, more heartwarming than the coziest earthly home and family, more soul-satisfying than all earthly pleasures combined, more enchanting than your favorite fairy tale, more thrilling than all the roller coasters and bungee jumping and skydiving this earth could provide, more majestic than the Rocky Mountains. The kingdom of God is vaster than the Pacific Ocean, deeper than the Mariana Trench, more suspenseful than all mystery novels, more dramatic than the greatest Broadway show. It's more precious than the largest diamond, more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day. It's more captivating than Romeo and Juliet. There is literally nothing which can compare to the kingdom of heaven. You can heap up all the comparatives, all the superlatives in the English language, yet the kingdom of God is greater still. We have a lot of people who are young here in our midst at Hope Church. Tremendous blessing to have so many young people. Don't let anyone tell you that salvation in Christ, you young people, isn't all it's cracked up to be. You who are young Christians, young believers, loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation in Jesus Christ is the treasure in all the universe. That if you find it, you are missing out on nothing. You have found the treasure in all the world that puts every other treasure to shame. It's the rare jewel upon this earth, Jesus, knowing Jesus Christ. And if you possess salvation in Christ, you have everything, absolutely everything. Don't let the world with its messages, which say, hey, you're missing out if you don't do this, convince you otherwise. Don't let your flesh, which says, hey, if you deny this, you're missing out, convince you otherwise. Follow after Christ. Finding him is the treasure in all the world. You know, the day is coming when those who own the world's gold would trade it all for just one gram of heaven's treasure. The day is coming when those whose lives have been saturated with the fulfillment of their every desire and pleasure and lust would trade all of that for just one day of satisfying bliss in heaven. The day is coming, beloved, the last day when those who have enjoyed the most incredible thrills and feelings would trade all of them for just one day of the thrill of standing before God perfect in heaven. For right now, the whole world has gone after tiny things, tiny treasures, little things, right? Tons of gold, massive retirement accounts, 
the perfect family, whatever that looks like, the perfect body, the perfect career, the perfect house, the perfect car, what the, all the pleasures we could amass. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that finding him, finding the kingdom of heaven is actually the greatest treasure ever. Now, those who find it, secondly, give up their lives for it. The kingdom of heaven is infinitely precious. And secondly, the, those who find it give up their lives for it. Notice verses 44 and 46. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And verse 46, on finding one pearl of great value, the merchant went and sold all that he had and he bought it. The man in the field and the merchant, two different parables, but they do the exact same thing. They sell everything they've got in order to get this treasure of the kingdom of heaven. The man in the field sold it all. He's going to buy the field and then the treasure is his. The merchant sells everything he has in order to get this one pearl. And Knox Chamblin on the merchant wrote this, this man's holdings, the merchant's holdings would far exceed those of the worker in the previous parable. Nevertheless, to acquire a single pearl, he too sells all his possessions, which shows that the pearl is valuable to the point of being priceless and that no price is too great for so precious an object. They sell it all. Why would they do this? Why would they sell everything? Why would they go and sell all their possessions, everything they have, just to latch onto this field, this treasure, or this one pearl of great price? Because the treasure is so much more valuable than anything they possess in the entire earth. That's why. Because the treasure is more valuable than anything that they could own or that any human being could own. The treasure is that much more valuable. They don't even hesitate. In the parable, there's not even a, a thought about counting the cost. There's just the selling of it once they find it, the getting of the treasure, because the treasure of Jesus Christ and knowing him compared to everything else pales in comparison. And when you have seen the treasure that salvation of Jesus is, it is more precious than life itself. Now, there are people who will try to bargain with God over the kingdom, They'll say, Lord, I will take this treasure. I will follow you, but I've got to go bury my dad. I've got to go get married. I've got some other things to do. I don't want to give up this part of my life, etc." But those who've really discovered the treasure and seen how incredible this treasure is, someone who's been worked on by the Holy Spirit and who finds the kingdom, they look and say, Lord, I will follow you no matter what. Lord, I will give up everything in my life if need be. Lord, I will go do whatever you ask me to do. Lord, I will obey whatever you ask me to obey. I will do anything for this treasure. I will repent. I will believe. I will follow. Because knowing Christ is the most precious thing in all the world. D.A. Carson wrote this, The kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. Well, the Bible illustrates both those who have forsaken all to obtain the treasure and those who wouldn't forsake all to possess eternal life. And I want to walk us through what uh, some of those examples are. And the first example, maybe the greatest one, is actually from the life of the Apostle Paul. He forsook 
self-righteousness. So if you think about the person in the field and the merchant, they had to sell everything. Paul had to sell his self-righteousness. He had to get rid of it. He says this about himself in Philippians 3, verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. The apostles saying that, hey, if anyone else had a right to the kingdom of God, it was me. If anyone else could earn their way into God's kingdom by religious observances, it was me. And he goes on to say in the same chapter, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So here Paul is saying, look, when I found Christ, I gave up my whole pedigree. My career as a Jewish scholar, a Pharisee, a rabbi, my life as the Israelite of Israelites, I found Christ. I gave it up. It was a loss. It was painful. It hurt. But when I found Jesus and I see his righteousness that he gives me, like I'm done trying to amass a righteousness for myself. I can't do it. I'll take his. And the righteousness that is Christ actually comes to me by faith. All I have to do is believe. Well, it's amazing what Paul gave up just to be found in Christ. There are a lot of people in this world who are so proud of themselves, so blind to their sin against God, so happy that they're not as bad as other people, that they will not trust in Christ to be saved. They can't see their own righteousness as a filthy rag, so they refuse to receive God's righteousness in Christ. But when you see the treasure as a believer, you say, yes, I want to give up trying to earn my salvation. uh, Getting the treasure oftentimes involves forsaking a life of comfort and ease. So Paul entered into a life of suffering as an apostle, suffering for the sake of the gospel. And yet the kingdom of God is so great and so valuable that he said this in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, Paul's saying no amount of earthly pain can overshadow just how incredible this kingdom of heaven is and belonging to it. There are a lot of people in the world, beloved, and maybe you young people especially should know this, who so value comfort and ease that they will not suffer for the sake of Christ. They live for whatever makes them feel good. And if you talk to them about a savior who says, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me, they will say, no thanks. They will look at the treasure and not view it as a treasure. All they'll see is pain, but they can't see forgiveness and eternal life that lasts forever. Another thing that is part of giving up that we may be called to give up is forsaking biological family as the be all and end all of our life, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate 
his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, immediate family members. Yes, and even his own life. He can't be my disciple. Jesus Christ is saying that if you want to follow me, if you really get the treasure, you'll love me more than you love even your spouse. You'll love me more than you love even your kids or your parents or your siblings. And if you don't love me more than them, he says, you actually don't have the ability to be my disciple. There are a lot of people in the world who so value the opinions and love of their family members that they will not believe in Jesus and go against the wishes of their family members. They just won't do it. They don't wanna to go to a Thanksgiving meal or a Sunday dinner or a Saturday outing with other family members who don't believe and they don't, they don't wanna hear about it. Well, I can't believe you believe in Jesus. And they'll say, you know what? I love my family more than I love Christ and they'll give up the treasure. But everyone who believes looks at the treasure and says, indeed, Christ is more valuable to me and more precious to me than anything in all the world. Forsaking wealth is something else which often takes place. Matthew 19, there was a rich man who approached Jesus to ask him how he could obtain eternal life after a brief exchange, kind of going back and forth about the guy thought he had actually kept all the commandments uh, we're told this, Jesus said to him, Matthew 19, verse 21, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. There are a lot of people, beloved, who in looking at Jesus Christ, and knowing that if they follow him, if they believe in him, they would have to become generous and they'd have to store up treasure in heaven rather than on this earth. They say, no thanks. I'd rather live for my money. I'd rather cling to my money. And I'd rather perish eternally as long as in this life I can have my wealth. So they cling to their money all the way to hell. And this is maybe the biggest one, which encompasses everything that we've just looked at. What do you have to give up? What do we have to give up in order to obtain the treasure? What does that look like? What are things that cling to our hearts that we've got to work through in order to view this treasure as what it really is? I'll describe it just as forsaking sin. When the apostles went around preaching, Peter on the day of Pentecost said what to the Israelites? Repent and believe. What is bound up with believing in Jesus? Repentance of sin. It just goes with it. We're not saved by repentance, but repentance of sin is just a fruit of believing. It's what believers do. We forsake sin. We start to hate it. We deny ourselves our lusts and our pleasures. And there are many people who will look at the treasure and see Jesus Christ, and they will say, that means I have to give up X, Y, or Z, this sin that I love, no thanks. And they won't do it. But for a believer who looks at the treasure and sees and hears about the joy of obedience and what it is to have an incredible master who loves us and laid down his life for us in order to bring us into his kingdom. 
When we hear that and see that, we say, yes, I'm all in. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Tell me how you want me to live all the way down to my attitudes, my motivations. Lord, I'm in. I've seen what you've done for me at the cross. I have never seen love like that. I've heard what you're providing me in heaven, eternal life. I've never seen salvation like that. I love it. And I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And catch that in verse 44, the man in the field in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He does it with joy. This is not a begrudging thing. How can you be joyful to go sell everything? Because the treasure is that big. It's that immense. It's that valuable that compared to anything else in this man's life, he counted it a joy to go sell everything and buy that field. Lincoln Duncan described a trip he went on, I'm assuming when he was younger, it was an evangelistic trip to St. Louis, Missouri. He was part of a team and he went with the local church that were gonna go out and evangelize. And they had, uh, had some people come to the church and they got to know him, and then they actually went from the church to their houses to talk to them later on in the week, and they met a lady who uh, they were talking to about the gospel. She seemed curious about the gospel a little bit, and during their conversations with her, they had discovered that there was a guy in the house with her, and that they were uh, boyfriend, uh, girlfriend, not married. And as she began to ask us more about the gospel, Ligon wrote, and more about how one embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, we began to talk with her about faith and repentance. When we came to repentance, we ran into a brick wall. She asked this question to us. Does embracing Christ mean that I will have to stop living with my boyfriend? Now she asked it, we didn't, he writes. <laughs> and we turned it over to the pastor at that point. And he said, embracing Christ will involve renouncing sin. And she said, well, I just can't. There was something more important to her than Christ. There was something more important. That relationship was more important to her than the kingdom, and she could not leave that relationship, at least in that form of the relationship, for the sake of the gospel. Beloved, that's what it looks like for people to discover the treasure and walk past it. But every believer has looked at the treasure and just said, I'll sell everything. And it's a joy to do it. The giving up of all earthly idols is a joy because of the surpassing greatness of possessing salvation in Jesus Christ in God's kingdom. Let me just bring it home uh, this way. Why do the disciples need these parables? Why do we need these parables, these two in particular? For the exact same reason. When people hear the gospel of God's kingdom and hear of believing in Jesus Christ for salvation, the vast majority of people reject it and don't find it precious at all. So it's tempting as believers for us to live in this world thinking, you know what? Salvation in Christ is great, but it's not that great. Like, I, I can see, you know, dedicating part of my life to that, but actually I, chasing the, the things of the world, that, that can't be that bad. Salvation in Christ is awesome, but it's not worth giving everything for. This is why these parables are so important. They set the record straight from Jesus' own lips. 
that the kingdom of heaven is more precious than life itself and everything in all the world. And if we possess it, we have everything. And if we don't possess it, we have nothing. We just have the world's goods. We just have some gold or a house, or we have a great family, but we don't have eternal life. So let me just finish but with a quote from Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The world will say, you give up your life to follow Jesus. You're a fool. You are crazy. And what Jim is saying is, no, you're not a fool to give up what you can't keep. Can't keep our life anyways. It's going to be over in 70, 80 years to gain what we cannot lose, life eternal. And if there are any here who don't know the treasure of salvation in Jesus Christ, get it. Give up everything you have in this world to follow him, whatever that looks like. Whatever lowercase g God you have erected in your heart and you said, that is worth living for. Take a long look at that God until you can see that God is dung, not worth it, a God who can't save you. Forsake that God, repent of your sin, believe in Jesus Christ, and you will have the greatest treasure that God has ever put in this universe in salvation in his son. Let's pray.